0: The text for the sermon is taken from the gospel. Jesus was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This morning, as all mornings, uh, I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as do all of the clergy. I can do so because I was ordained a long time ago into the apostolic ministry that goes all the way back to Jesus' chosen disciples. I did not receive apostolic order from the faculty of Duke Divinity School. Uh, a bishop uh, who yeah. had been consecrated by other bishops, who themselves have been consecrated by other bishops in apostolic succession ordained me. Uh, uh, and, and this is why I... and Uh, the other priest and deacon uh, here may speak to you in the name of the Blessed Trinity. I say this because so much of our text today revolves around the question uh, by what authority does does Jesus teach and act? Well, the answer to that question is by his own authority. Because he is God Almighty. It's not even a derived authority from the Father. It's his authority because he is God of God and light of light we don't speak from our own authority my authority father sean's all of our authority is derived by participation in jesus christ in his ministry we often speak of our ministry uh, uh, my ministry well in fact i have no ministry that belongs to me by nature the ministry that i have is a ministry given to me as a gift by a bishop, and it is the ministry of Jesus Christ. It is my ability, uh, by virtue of ordination, to participate in that ministry. As I have said over and over frequently, as I said last week, uh, as your priest, one of the driving concerns that I have as your priest is to build up your trust in the Bible and especially the New Testament. Not because the Old Testament is secondary but because the New Testament is a precious, reliable collection of apostolic memories, of eyewitness recollections, and of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is, it is His life uh, uh, that all of the prophets uh, and, the, uh, uh, and the law uh, uh, prophets and teachers of the Old Testament, it is his life uh, that they participate in as well. What I'm saying is, even the ministry of the Old Testament is derivative from the ministry of Christ. Fact. That is the truth. Uh, now, I am also certain of this, uh, that uh, I am certain of the authenticity, the candidness, And the truthful history of the New Testament. So in addition uh, to that reality of the New Testament, I am also concerned to teach you a hermeneutic, uh, that is a way of understanding and of interpreting these very weird and domesticated narratives. And they are weird. And they have been handed down to us by the apostles. Mainly, I want you to learn, listen to what I'm saying. Mainly, I want you to learn not to read them apart from common prayer, which is holy tradition, the holy tradition of the church. It is common prayer that provides us with a hermeneutical grid, a way to interpret the word of God uh, that will not lead us astray. Are you with me? You see? So we just had a baptism. You want to understand baptism, go to John chapter 3. Go to those scriptures that are given to us in the rite and then read the baptismal rite because the baptismal rite itself is a reflection of the theology of the New Testament and the teaching of the apostles. The great New Testament scholar Ed Hoskins described the proper end of New Testament studies this way. He said, you look down your critical microscope at the New Testament text with a view to describing the religious life of the first century Christian, and then you find out that God is looking back at you through the microscope and declaring you to be a sinner, but a sinner that he loves with his whole heart. That's why I am just as concerned that as you read the Bible that you present yourself to these narratives you open your heart and your life to these narratives as a plant living sacrifice so that the Word of God is opened your heart is open to the Word of God so that the text while you're interpreting the text the text interprets you. While you're judging the text, the text judges you. While we are trying to understand form, the text forms our life according to the will of God. That's the introduction. Now I'm going to preach the sermon. Don't worry. No, maybe you should worry. The text for today is the one I just read. Jesus was casting out devils, and it was dumb, a a devil, and it was dumb. It came to pass, uh, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and people wondered. A demon came out, and the person spoke. No one denied that in that crowd. Not one person denies it. But, But what Luke wants us to see is that this miracle did not automatically win people over. It did not, in fact, win people over. None of the miracles... In fact, it won people over. Some said out loud that Jesus was able to do what he did because he was in league with Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, Satan. And others said, well, I don't know. I'd like to see him do a few more miracles before I pass my judgment. And Jesus said, Satan's kingdom, like any other kingdom, if it is divided, will fall apart. It is a house falling in upon itself. And then he said, uh, concerning more miracles, he said, besides that, you have sufficient miracles already that I have performed. To get some perspective uh, on the meaning of this text, we have to back up to Luke chapter 4. Uh, uh, there is a record of the occasion when Jesus was preaching in a synagogue in the city of Capernaum. The people were astonished at his teaching because he spoke with authority. And just then, while he was talking, a man in the synagogue jumped up and began shouting at Jesus. And Luke tells us that he was possessed by a demon and was speaking. And he said, leave me alone. Let me be. I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the Holy One, the Holy One of God. You've come to destroy us. And Jesus said, be quiet and come out of him. That's all he did. And he came out of it. Luke says the demon immediately left without harming the man. Luke underlines that point. Without harming the man. Now here's a point that I want you to get. Uh, it's weird. But it's true. Jesus came into the world to save us. But the demon was right. Jesus was also intent upon the total destruction of that mean demonic world. To save mankind, he had to tear down, he had to bring devastation upon this invisible kingdom of evil. And that's exa- exactly what Jesus and his disciples were doing. From our text today, just back up one chapter uh, of Luke's gospel. And there you will read of our Lord sending out his disciples to teach, to heal, and to cast out demons. When his disciples returned, uh, they were elated. Uh, They were saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents, and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Later on, Jesus said in the text, If I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? They'll be your judges. Who are these? Your sons, he's talking about. Your son is a reference to his own disciples, the true sons of Israel. Listen. Listen. Jesus' reputation as a healer and as a teacher was due primarily to his reputation as an exorcist. You remember last week that the the healing of the Gentile woman's daughter involved casting out a demon. Israel had never seen an exorcist like Jesus. You please realize that Luke And the other evangelists and apostles and Jesus understand these to be real events taking place before them, historic. The occasion described in our... Listen to what I'm saying. The occasion described in our text today is not an artful metaphor. It's not a parable designed to speak of abstract evil on the level of pre-modern folk in Jesus' day. It is Jesus' worldview. His assumption was that he had entered into a world through the incarnation, our world, that was infested with these unclean spirits. And they fed upon human misery and destruction. How weird is that? Come on! That's not the way we think. I think of atoms, A-T-O-M-S, uh, I think of particles, I think of, I think, I think you know, I guess I, I'm not a scientist, but I have a, inherited a scientific worldview in modernity, and this is not what occurs to me. But that's Jesus' worldview, and it would be a good thing for us to put our worldview beside of Jesus' worldview and see where we come up short. What do you think? Good idea, bad idea? Is that, the answer to that is it's a good idea. Let me tell you up front. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all the armor wherewith he trusted and divided his spoils. So what is Jesus talking about? We're almost finished here. This is a description of a specific act of subduing, binding, and conquering cosmic evil and personal evil. The strong man who possesses the guarded kingdom is Satan, and the palace and the armor represent his kingdom. The stronger man is Jesus, and he's saying that he has trampled Satan down. He's in the process of trampling him down and will utterly trample him down. And trample all evil down. He's laid siege to that kingdom of evil. He's stripping away the armor. He has the help of his apostles. He has seen Satan fall from heaven. Like a bolt of lightning. His kingdom is divided. And Jesus is dividing the, the spoils. The spoils in this specific place. Really are uh, or, or the, the, the be- benefits that we have from Holy Mother Church. Forgiveness of sin. The gift of the Holy Spirit, eternal life, uh, regeneration through holy baptism. The souls of men and women set free from bondage, the stuff that doesn't even matter. The initial act of binding was Jesus' defeat of Satan at the temptation in the wilderness. He established his authority over the kingdom over that evil kingdom and then he began to delegate that authority to his disciples and he has delegated that authority to us, his church. We act on his behalf. The exorcisms demonstrate that the kingdom of God has come into this world and through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through forgiveness, through the grace of baptism and the grace of the Holy Communion, we, the grace of absolution, we are equipped to fight as Christ's faithful soldiers against sin, The world and the devil. Jesus is a man of miracles and he is an exorcist. That may embarrass some people, but it's still the truth. He raised children from the dead. He gave sight to the blind, speech to the dumb, hearing to the deaf, the lame walk, and demons flew away from him. Spontaneously, miracles burst forth. Last sentence, okay? Listen. All that torments men and women. All that bends and breaks us down. All that strives to continue to break us. All that snatches sight, sound, happiness and wholeness from God's creature, man and woman. All of that. Given time. Burning within maybe, but given time. All of it will bow before Jesus and submit to his rule and say thy will be done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost